0: We will begin with our review of the main stories in today's newspapers and on the panel this morning to do the same, Daniel McConnell, who's the political editor with the Irish Examiner, Terry Prone of the Communications Clinic, and I am particularly happy to say we are joined by Gerard Howland, a public affairs consultant and former senior political advisor, because Gerard, for reasons I will explain in a while, you feature in the Sunday papers this morning. You must be it, thrilled. I'm
1: absolutely delighted, particularly when it was pointed out correctly that I was, quote, wrong again. So that sort of publicly humiliating... <laughs> on a Sunday morning. It's very good for the soul, it's, Jonathan. It's, it's
0: a cathartic in many oh, ways. Oh, wonderful.
1: And we, whip, <laughs> whip and lash.
0: We will get to that shortly and tell you why Jared has featured in the Sunday papers. But we'll go through the front pages to begin with. The Sunday Business Post, I think has probably one of the more interesting front pages there. Main story is revealed. Bus Aaron demands more cash to carry pensioners. A company currently paying £13 million a year in overtime. Bus Aaron demanding it to receive more money for carrying pensioners. Even as new figures show the cash trap semi state was spending between 11 million and 13 million on staff overtime each year. It's all about the free travel scheme and whether uh, it should continue or not. Of course, Bus Aaron facing huge losses with the closure of key intercity routes being flagged, uh, listed in the paper as well. They have a good interview. A good piece, rather, uh, written by Tony O'Brien, the Director-General of the HSE, who says in the piece that Ireland's crisis-ridden health service requires a capital injection of, wait for it, €9 billion if it is to end the scourge of hospital overcrowding. O'Brien said the investment would need need to be made over a 10-year period, and it would require an upgrade to IT systems for upkeep and repair of nursing homes and hospitals, and also to replace critical equipment. He's thrown the figure out there. I wonder how far it will get in the Department of Health. The Sunday Independent Ross inoffensive road safety attack on Liz O'Donnell. Details of an extraordinary exchange between the Transport Minister Shane Ross and the Road Safety Authority Chairperson Liz O'Donnell, which took place at a time when the road deaths were dramatically increasing were revealed by the Sunday Independent today. Uh, The correspondence between the two um, talked about the appointment of board members to the RSA. There are 10 At meetings, and bizarrely, says Jody Corkin, who wrote the piece, also typographical and other errors contained in a draft of the RSA annual report. It was a draft of the report, not the final version of the report, but the draft of the report. Um, and, and we'll go through that in more detail in a while. Guard the probe for two sex assaults, including one on young girl, is their other story there. Front of the Sunday Times, Wallace Debt May Collapse Football Club, Wexford Youth uh, Football Club, founded by bankrupt independent TD McWallace, Wallace, is facing a court application to be wound up over a two hundred grand plus debt to his construction company. The sidebar there is a story that we'll gather in pace in the days ahead. Theresa May is going to announce that Britain is seeking a clean and hard Brexit in a speech this week that will promise to create a strong new partnership with the European Union. Says she, not necessarily the European Union. The Prime Minister finally laying her cards on the table, making clear that Britain is to pull out of the single market and the European Customs Union in order to regain control of immigration and end the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. Downing Street staff rather euphemistically have warned that there will be a market correction as a result of this policy being announced which means that everything's going to be cheaper to buy on Amazon next week which is a very limited silver lining for the rest of us. Uh, the Mail on Sunday Apollo House couple we're not homeless a couple who are living in Apollo House after claiming they've been living in a tent are not homeless they have a local authority home according to the Mail on Sunday and uh, the Sunday world leads with he's no hitman mum swears on son's ashes he's not Kinahan Cartel killer and says mystery death was murder. Let's talk about Theresa May because I I think even though it doesn't feature very prominently on the front pages, it's a story that only broke last night in the UK papers, which meant it didn't bleed through, Danny. And what we're talking about here, the hardest of hard Brexits, is the nightmare for the Irish government who are trying to prepare for what the British government is doing.
2: It is and it seems that the leaks or the the signals from uh, Downing Street um, are true because they're, they're actually spread across a number of the, the, the main British papers, uh, having watched them or read them um, overnight and, and early this morning so clearly briefing has, has taken place as to what form Brexit will take. You know, there has been a lot of talk about the merits of a soft Brexit over a hard Brexit for Ireland You know, issues around the border uh, and the you know the common travel area they have been the big issues for us I think for a lot of people you know, there's been a lot of dismay at the Irish government's attitude to all of this Listen, we have to kind of wait to see what Theresa May is going to do before we can decide our response to Brexit that isn't good enough but now we know that she's heading for a more for a hard Brexit um, purely I think to try and keep the, the, the Eurosceptic rebels in our own ranks kind of on side but you know at least now we know what the game plan is now it does, it, it merits a very strong response from an Irish government for, you know, to be parochial about it um, we need a strong response from, from government but it is the nightmare scenario from our point of view. Like because at the end of the day, Ireland have the Irish government has basically said we need to rely on our friends at European level to come to our aid. Where there can be no special deal for Ireland, we're told um, there can be no special case for Ireland. We're told we will all have to just throw our lot in with the with the other twenty seven. You know, Europe hasn't exactly been our friend uh, over the last eight eight to nine years. So I think going down that route poses an awful lot of difficulties. But Jared,
0: as well, it not not only the <clears throat> economics of this, but but the physical. Departure of Northern Ireland from the European Union throws up what was the worst case scenario of the checkpoints at Newry.
1: Yes, well this, I mean, there's the European Union, the political entity, there's the single market, which is the trading bloc, and there is the customs union. Uh, this is like a Russian doll which there is layer upon layer, and and the and the inner core, and, and Theresa May at the centre. Uh, it's at the centre is is the customs union, which means that ultimately you could be st- having uh, police women and men at the border asking you to open your boot to see men, see how many uh, slabs of beer you have, as we were, you know, twenty odd years ago. It is horrendous.
0: And how does Ivy house Unless
1: a special case can be negotiated, unless <coughs> you have, the, you know, Northern Ireland somehow within the customs union, but the rest of the United but Kingdom that, that's isn't. not
0: that's not high I would argue on Theresa May's no, agenda. No, it's not. It's, it's not on her, her agenda the at all. Very much down the list. Terry, do you think that she has a plan? Because, you know, th- this is coming out now um, and she's, she's adopting a tough line. She's trying to be a big player insofar as she's setting out Britain's stall. We are going to be a single United Kingdom against the world. And the reality is that most people who have at least given some cautious thought to this will say, no, that's a terrible, terrible idea to break completely
3: immediately. Well, when you say most people who have given this thought, that doesn't include the people surveyed by The Observer this morning because what they've done is ask people, who do you think is best suited to manage Brexit? And the overwhelming reaction is the Tories. Theresa May, she's going to do it. And I suspect that that is what she's playing into. Remember that if you have come in as one of the people who wanted Britain to remain in Europe, then you have to prove yourself by being harder than hard. Mm. And that is exactly what she's setting out to do, to say, I am the implacable figure who will deliver... What the voters of the United Kingdom told me to deliver fifty
0: one point eight
3: percent of voters doesn't matter if you are a Conservative uh,
0: Prime Minister. So if if she goes down this road, and it would appear that she's they are going to take forever to get deals done with the likes of the European Union trading bloc. I mean, she was trumpeting that she was going to get a deal done with the New Zealand government, but New Zealand has fifty seven million versus what one point seven billion. Of, of trade.
2: People who have and Jared probably has way more experience of, of the machinations of European bureaucracies and, poli- and, and politics than, than most. Um, it's going to be a very slow process I think by and large but I think what you have, what you will have is a roadmap saying this will happen by this point, this will happen and by 2020 or 2021 or 2022 we're gone, we're out that's it or it could even be longer than that. But I just think, I think you're absolutely right, the Irish aspect to all of this is very far down the agenda. It didn't feature in the campaign at all, which I thought was very worrying um, and I think most mainlanders didn't even consider it the impact on the border between the Republic and, 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 and Northern Ireland. Now, one issue uh, and one solution, possible solution I've heard since, since the start of all this is that the island of Ireland becomes the border so you don't have this issue of Donegal to Dundalk you know it being the kind of the, the frontier that basically that if you're a, a Northern Ireland citizen you have to show your password to go over to the, to the but mainland But the
0: unionists would go ballistic over They them. would
2: but is that a kind of a lower cost than having to kind of you know enforce the border and jeopardise the peace process and all of that and you know put us into a far more complicated space than having it at you know the kind of the, the border between the well, public well, Ger- and,
0: uh, Ger- and the north. Where does Ivy House begin to <clears throat> deal with this? Because you know they they were waiting to find out if there was a, a, a kind of a soft edge that they'd be able mm. to land on. If there's no soft edge, then they have to go with the rest of Europe against Britain.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the bottom line. And I mean people talk about Theresa May not having a plan. I suppose more worryingly, the Irish government doesn't have a plan. And I do not say that as a snide criticism. I think it is. An understandable position for the Irish government to be in currently, where they are trying to scope out as many possible routes forward in a situation where there are no directions, where nothing's decided. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm very understanding of the difficulty and lack of plan that that they have in hand in that respect. But the problem for us is what's driving Theresa May very clearly. And remember, she was Home Secretary for six years. What's driving her centrally is the single issue of immigration. immigration. I don't get it. I, there's something about this in my mind and because of our, I believe, our very positive experience of immigration here. I... You know, I, I believe that Britain is, you know, naturally benefited by by immigration. But clearly, there is a very substantial body of opinion who feels deeply differently. That is the electorate which she effectively is responding to. That is her core political uh, animus, as it were. And that ultimately, just as David Cameron called a referendum, because he believed it was necessary to keep the Tory party intact, she will prioritise the immigration issue and control over Great Britain's borders over every Mm. other issue for essentially the same political purpose. And that becomes an inarguable uh, object to try and get around when a political leader has decided that for political reasons... That is what they need to do.
0: But do we not have a perfect storm here as well? That we have a British government that has adopted that approach, an incredibly weak and divided British opposition in the Labour Party Mm. with Jeremy Corbyn, who doesn't seem to know what he wants on Europe. We now have no government in Northern Ireland, or we're about to have no government in Northern Ireland when all of this is being negotiated. This
3: is the perfect storm. It's the perfect storm, and that's why Gerard is right when he talks about it being understandable that an Irish government could not possibly have a worked out singular plan it has to have a series of notional options for this scenario that scenario but or they the even other done scenario that. That's
2: the, the concern is they haven't even done that well
3: if they had they wouldn't tell you
2: no but, like, <laughs> no. but you would surely want I mean Nicola Sturgeon you know convened a kind of a, a Brexit task force in the immediate aftermath she at least made the soundings of kind of I'm in charge we're getting none of that from Marion Street. We're getting kind of, oh, we're briefing, we're doing a bit of this, we're being... But when you're asking any sort of detailed, firm questions from government in briefings and elsewhere, we don't but, know, we but have to wait. I would say, Daniel, that
1: Nicola Sturgeon, like Theresa May, uh, has a single-issue agenda. Whereas our agenda is actually much more complex than Nicola Sturgeon's. I I accept that, but I would certainly want more. She's out to discomfort Theresa May. I accept that. We need to try and get a bit
2: of suitor cream on everyone. I mean, (laughs) Phil Hogan got in awful trouble last week, the week before, for coming out and basically calling on his Cabinet colleagues to get the lead out on Brexit. Now, you know... A lot of his political opponents seem to just dismiss him because he had left such a mess in Irish water but I'm always of the view just because you've made mistakes doesn't mean what you say isn't right and I agree with Phil Hogan I think the government isn't doing enough on Brexit uh, I think Ender Kenny was wrong not to appoint a Brexit minister because I think you know he essentially declared himself I'm the minister for Brexit it'll come through my office He's running a country. He's far too busy to t- properly give it the attention that There's it deserves. Minister
0: of State for European Affairs it is not but, faulted like the Darryl Murphy. But, but, but the paradox... Lo- da, Dar- darren Murphy
1: is not at the racist when winning. it comes to Brexit, exactly. so let's just call that for what it is. And the reason it Kenny,
0: unfair and Kenny It's not Murphy. I'm sure he would have a different opinion. I'm sure he, I'm sure, I'm I'm sure, right I'm sure he would, out, yes.
1: Uh, and I'm sure I'm wrong again. Uh, but in relation to Andy Kenny, the reason he has to be Minister for Brexit is that he wouldn't have a country to run unless he has to, unless he can effectively insist that he must be the minister for Brexit because he's necessary. And if he weren't necessary for that central national objective, the raison d'etre of him remaining in that office that allows him to co- run the country wouldn't be there. Really so you're back to, what do I need to do, Theresa May, Enda Kenny, Nicola Sturgeon, to keep this job sitting in this chair to do this thing
0: mm. let's go back to when the vote happened because this is uh, a remarkable thing I didn't realise Danny you're a journalist who does this on a daily basis did you realise WhatsApp messages were subject to freedom of information yeah. Yeah. This was news to me. Anyway, column coin uh, in the Sunday Times put in an FOI and brilliantly got a WhatsApp exchange uh, that effectively involved government spokespeople and department spokespeople and state agency spokespeople that played out over the course of, of the few hours post-Brexit. Um, and it just kind of shows that they were trying to coordinate their message, which you don't understand they would do that part of their job, but there's some gems in there. Um, at 9 a.m., one me- this is from the Sunday Times at 9am one member of the group noted Gerard Howland a former Fianna Fáil advisor had tweeted seriously questioned wisdom of Ireland government's intervention in EURF especially the embassy in London no use and effectiveness in, co- in crisis now compromised there were concerns in this timeline that this might develop as a theme the group's administrator replied how wise after the fact he's wrong again Gerard right to reply
1: well, I just to uh, say, completely agree with that final observation <laughs> <all> again. <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, it, I think it's a credit to all concerned. They were up so early in the morning uh, and so busy. It's precisely what you would expect them to be doing. Um, and um, I mean, it's it's amusing, it's insightful. But what is it about what they were asked that is in any way particularly strange? Or well, yeah. no, no, I just. And by the way, what I must. Co- you're compliment You're playing this on, very well, Gerald. But I must compliment them on. Uh, compared to my long long uh, experience, long ago I should say, is its restraint and moderation of their language. <laughs> <laughs> I can never remember a simple civil word like wrong being applied. There would be a string of introductory <laughs> expletives, <explicitly. laughs> you know.
0: Um, also, one other line, I'll mention it in passing. Brian Hayes just tweeted, he's going on News Talk. One member noted at 9.05, the Government Press Office responded, B. Hayes, B Hayes isn't an issue, he's not government, which <laughs> <laughs> Brian... <laughs> <laughs> we'll wake up to this morning. Sorry about that, Ryan. You, you did choose to go to Europe. Um, but the one thing about all of this, Terry, in, in the communications world and everything is subject to FOI, are they going to have to start putting messages in their shoes like they would have done during the Civil War to keep things under wraps, or is everything going to end up in the public domain at some point?
3: Quite seriously, that is a problem, that there is a case for venues or conduits where you can discuss something without believing that it's eventually going to become public domain because it's not intended for public domain. Um, on the other hand, this is fascinating and I suspect that although Fergal Purcell, the head of GIS, figures largely in it and therefore anybody in his business, anybody in my business would start reading a thing like this with your insides in pleats. Oh, dear God. God, what did I say back then? Um, it actually is quite interesting, and it'll be interesting to people outside of the communications area because what they're largely trying to do is space out the stuff that's the going message. to media. I mean, I think so like looks it looks like good management doesn't mani- hit them like a tsunami. Good management of the media
0: mm. uh, is how it reads. Mm. I don't know whether mm. that was the perception. I can't remember in the day where there was so much trauma. But it, it is very
3: happened. funny that some of the bodies being controlled don't like being controlled mm. and make bitter little comments about being controlled F-
1: a function <laughs> of government is that the outer orbit in various departments and agencies really cordially detest them in government buildings who they always feel are above themselves, and they always <laughs> resent those calls from those people in mm. government buildings. This is a perennial, uh, you know, inbuilt tension in well, the system.
2: What I find now, we're talking about WhatsApp. So it's it's not
1: their feelings for us on the outside; mm. it's it's, it's the feelings feeling for, for themselves each other, yeah. that you should read between <laughs> the lines.
2: <laughs> what I find it interesting, we're now talking about WhatsApp. A couple of years ago, we were looking at, um, and particularly during the crash, it was the use of Gmail by personal Gmail accounts by key officials to try and avoid the freedom of information you know Mm. microscope Uh, and what we found a lot was you know the Gmail thing was just a blank wall we couldn't get anywhere near it but it was confirmed by several people who were in government at the time that like if transmissions had to be made uh, you use your Gmail for a simple but it, like, you had to you had to communicate with someone
0: but it's funny I thought WhatsApp they made a big deal that it's encrypted end to end and no one can mm-hmm. hack into it you can hack into it with an FOI it's the easiest most hackable uh, thing of all that time that is true
3: but that speaks to the wonderful openness of the Irish system oh, Terry, the curious thing Terry, on, <laughs> no, the FOI you does work it does work Dan. <laughs> it does work
2: well sorry um, hang um, on given the amount of FOI requests I put in last year and given how few came back with satisfactory responses oh, that's just personal bitterness.
3: and frustration (laughs) 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 the thing is that and we've exemplified this this morning that it's very often not the big thing that's revealed by FOI that people enjoy most It's the little things like the um, attack. Well, not that it's really an attack on Mr Howland. I remember at some stage years ago, I think it was the Irish Times, FOI'd some conversation that I had had with uh, a department official. And they put it on the front page. And the truly mortifying thing was not that I'd said anything inappropriate or profane or horrible, but that I had ended it. (laughs) XXX. <laughs> God, I'm still mortified. Yeah. But Terry, you're a nice person. <laughs> it just came across. To a senior <laughs> civil servant. Yeah. Well, anyway,
0: we've won uh, mm. civil servant who texts us now this morning, um, presumably from her non-work phone, because as a civil servant, she says we were always told anything we did on a work phone could be FOI. So that's what's keeping you at bay, Daddy. They're all using
2: different that's phones them in business. Yeah, well, it just means we have to be a little bit more imaginative. Yes, create,
0: creativity. <laughs> Column Coin gets the uh, the prize uh, yeah. for creativity this yeah. morning. Uh, the Sunday Business. Post Terry I mentioned it at the start by the way my panel this morning Jared Howland Daniel McConnell and Terry Prone Sunday Business Post Terry HSE Chief O'Brien we need 9 billion to fix the health service uh, it, it takes a lot I'd imagine for someone like Tony O'Brien to come out with a figure that high knowing it ain't going to go down well in Hawkins House
3: I don't think that um, it's going to be a problem for Hawkins House. It's going to be a problem for the government and for the future health care committee, because what Tony Ryan is doing here today is laying it on the line in a very magisterial way that says, let me quote him planning estimates indicate that the health services will require in the order of 9 billion euro in capital spend over the next 10 years in order to overcome both historic and existing deficiencies in other words that whether it's that we need six more hospitals or what we need capital spend is not put in six more nurses there tomorrow it is the big spend for the future and it may indeed encompass a time when Tony O'Brien is not there but he's laying it on the line that this healthcare system and others and it's an interesting thing that I find fascinating over the past eighteen months. If you look at The Guardian, The Observer, The Daily Telegraph. The Daily Telegraph couldn't be at a more different uh, ideological stance than the other two. Virtually every second day for the last 18 months, there has been a lead story in one of those about the NHS, the jewel in the crown of Britain, uh, in virtual collapse. Today, The Observer, health service in crisis, now cancer ops operations are cancelled. That is the sort of thing that we're seeing only not quite as bad in Ireland. And yet we haven't ever said, well, we've looked at it as if we were all on our own, as if we were insulated, as if this was not a problem all over the developed world. I think that uh, Tony O'Brien is laying down um, in his own words. And it's interesting that the Sunday Business Post Allowed him to write the piece all on his own. It, yes, it's an, it's an authored him. piece, and yeah. he's
0: been like it's an article that was written around the piece on the front page. It, that and we he's referenced.
3: just basically saying, "This is it, folks. This is what you're going to have to pay if you want to solve the problems that we have now and prevent them from becoming massive problems but Jared, in the future."
0: The issue we have with this is if we if we manage to find nine billion, say if all the Apple money landed in the current account of the Irish government in the morning, and we put the nine billion in, we do not have a good history in this country of spending money well in the health service. Last time it happened it was swallowed up in the black hole
1: No, and by, st-
0: by, by staff costs. Le-
1: let's say. be clear the £9 billion is just a teaser. Uh, the £9 billion is money uh, that he wishes to have spent over a 10 year period on capital which is to say hospitals and equipment and that dose that big much bigger structure would then have to be infilled with a much larger ongoing current expenditure for doctors nurses etc right no point building so a hospital the, no the, in the nine billion is, is not the the end of the story it's hardly the beginning of mm. it in terms of the extra expenditure he is implicitly actually calling for uh, we have an annual uh at the minute we spend about three percent of our health spending on capital which compares to about 5% on average during the boom, uh, and it is quite low, and clearly we have major pinch points within the system, both in terms of the number of beds. We have far fewer than most comparable systems. The number of doctors, we have far fewer than most comparable systems. We have an anemically developed uh, primary care system. Incidentally, by the way, we have far many more nurses than most comparable systems. An Would odd, you, you an odd that, statistic that
0: is throwing a plate at the radio if he's listening but the OECD figures state that we have more nurses Correct. and fewer
1: doctors. Correct. So our system is very badly configured around certain vested interests and the, p- the problem is that while all of this is necessary to catch up for the cuts really going back to the McSharry years the changing demographics which we're experiencing now and which are be going to become more acute in, in the future but there is a critical problem. And how are we going to invest scarce public resources in a system that doesn't work twenty four seven? That doesn't work on Saturdays and Sundays. Mm. That actually, and and this is a pity, by the way, it's not something I'm an advocate for. We get far better value from money invested in private hospitals than we do in public hospitals. Why? Because they're far more efficient in terms of how to use that investment. Oh come on, Geraldine!
3: In in uh, I. the private hospitals don't have the the chaotic, the daily, I the chaos that, yes. of uncontrolled i Absolutely, ingress.
1: and they cherry pick the easier yeah. cases, and the really tough cases are left to the public hospitals, who have all of that chaos. That's a given, Terry. But what I am saying to you is that if you were a CAT scan machine in a private hospital, you're worked a lot harder. Danny that's my money and yours by the way yeah
0: no and I think that's a fair point Danny If we're looking at this in what Tony O'Brien is trying to do here Mm. this is this is laying down the marker because every time that Simon Harris or whoever other poor sod ends up in the Department of Health after Simon Harris leaves this figure is going to be thrown to him or her again and again and again
2: yeah like I think it's a welcome intervention I think we're always better off having facts in front of us rather than kind of dealing in, in in the unknowns I think Oh, fair. Jared made a point of, you know, Tony Bryan earlier this year or or late last year, you know, signed off on the service plan, a legal document, uh, and said they've enough money to run the health service. Now, and politically, we're told from the likes of Simon Harris that for the first time in eight eight or nine years, we have a budget that is workable. Clearly, there are still massive deficiencies across the system that need to be addressed. But there's also an awful lot of bad management across the system that needs to be, you know, needs needs to be addressed. Um, Like, I have personal experience I was in. The, I went in for an emergency uh, operation last July and I was brought in by ambulance on a Saturday I was triaged I was waiting an hour to be triaged I was 11 to 12 hours waiting to see a doctor another 8 hours to waiting to see a surgeon now I, and I was told is this normal Is this, and they said this is what it's like at weekends this is chaos that exists on the weekends now once you're in the system Grand. You're fine. fine. It's point of entry. It's, it's it's sure. getting yeah. and, and that was a scary kind of realisation. I was okay, but I like. I mean, there are an awful lot of people around me who were much older, much frailer, in much more pain than I was and stuck in a, in a very similar situation. Now, the issue of frontline, like, the pinch point is A&E because that's where everyone just goes into. And this issue of trying to put more resources into the primary care, like your GP, so you can get your scans done in your GP, that all sounds great. But, you know, that all has to be subject to uh, GP's contract and negotiations and funding and all the rest of it. But, like, the point Tony O'Brien made today was he's in charge, of, he's the head of the health service and he's essentially holding his hands up saying I can do no more at this stage. And that strikes me as slightly bizarre. You know... Um, I swear,
0: why is it bizarre? The man, no. the man is clearly frustrated.
2: <laughs> yeah, he is. But, I mean, like, his job is to manage it. His job is to kind of... Um, uh, kind of make sure that you know at least a very basic level of safe service is overseen. Like for two or three years, I, s- I sat at press conferences when the service plan was being announced, and, and times Tony O'Brien essentially said the document we're producing today stinks a bit, and we can't really stand over the numbers because we're kind of making it up as we go along. What he's made the point he's put by putting a figure at least. Yeah, we have a roadmap now of what is needed. But is it realistic? No. And I just think for Do we not
0: want that in a public servant though? Do we not want public servants to stand up and if something is wrong, say it is wrong and if they need more money,
3: say they need more money. Not not row the line toe the line of government. But we're we're talking about what's wrong Was it? it isn't wrong that Ireland has a changing demographic. It's just the facts. We, at the moment when uh, Danny was in the um, uh, A&E, he would have been surrounded by people in their 60s and 70s. A lot more than if there would have been If he goes years in ago. three years ahead, he's going to have much more of them. What Tony O'Brien, it seems to me, is saying is, look, not to do with today's management or tomorrow's management, saying, if you want to when you have a really, really old population, not have complete humiliating risky chaos, then and here's the cost of it, as simple as that.
0: Right, we don't know whether uh, even the £9 billion would be enough, and the problem is they're not going to get the £9 billion, but we'll see how uh, Simon Harris reacts to that, because we know that will. There's a page, story on page six. Um, no more jobs for the boys in the civil service. This is in the Sunday Times. The government is to prioritise the appointment of women to the highest grades of the civil service. Pascal Donoghue is going to announce positive discrimination today to redress the perceived gender imbalance in the civil service. Gerard, is this a new thing or has it always been thus that women are underrepresented at the higher ranks?
1: Oh, Of course they've been underrepresented at the higher ranks forever and still are um, across the top of the civil service and you know, most excellence of, of of life. So that's a fact and it, it, it is a serious issue. And I suppose the the issue is how it, how is it addressed? And clearly um is it done informally and there is a sense by the way in the civil service that there is a sort of informal um, you know, finangling uh that is a bit disturbing, frankly or whether uh, the government comes out with an upfront policy that puts in place measures which they seem to be proposing. But positive
0: discrimination always worries me because you're sitting there, if you've two candidates in front of you and one is better for the job than the other, you shouldn't necessarily go for the woman if she's not the best person for the job, Terry. I mean, it's just a personal opinion,
3: but I don't think positive discrimination necessarily results in better outcomes overall. I believe two mutually contradictory things about this. The first is... Very you to (laughs) contradict yourself, Terry Brown. (laughs) I was watching a man, not in civil service, uh, recently on television, a man of great eminence in his, I suspect, early 60s and he said in the middle of the discussion that he had never in all of his 40 year career, got together with his team to exclude a woman from becoming part of the team. And I'm looking at him and thinking, you actually believe that that amounts to fairness? That you didn't get together with your team to exclude a woman? And the fact that somebody could say that on primetime television and not be hauled on it and not be told you actually have no understanding of discrimination, whatever, that irritates the hell out of me. And I want... Everybody in the public service and the private sector to understand their unconscious biases, the unconscious biases that are preventing women from getting to the top. Quotas always bother me quotas always bother me. But going back to your point, Jonathan, about not necessarily having the best outcomes. I remember years ago being told when I said um, I was against having quotas for um, women on state boards, because that would mean that stupid women would get on state boards. <laughs> and Gemma Hussey looked at me and said, "And you're suggesting that stupid men don't make up the majority of state boards? And I thought you make a very good point. <laughs> Indeed.
0: Um, by the way, I've got a brilliant text in for you, Danny. Well, uh, here it's go. clearly aimed at you. It's signed, a public servant. So it could be Annie from <laughs> <That> tens <laughs> of thousands listening. That
1: could listening. be a euphemism.
0: <laughs> the 2014 Labour amendments to the FOI, Freedom of Information Act, were ideologically driven and bad for of the country. FOI is now just a crutch for very lazy journalists and we should go back to charging to stop these extensive trawling FOIs that are costing the state millions.
2: Well, that's complete and utter nonsense and I reject it out of hand as, as I rightly should. The, the 2014 FOI Act was a, what I thought was a welcome attempt to try and redress the balance because under Fianna Fáil they completely shut down the original 1997 FOI Act, um, and the, the the fees that were in char- were being charged were a barrier to information being released. Um, I, I remember vividly Brendan Howland sought to have have a charge initially, not just per request but per uh, element of request. So you could end up paying. The plan was you'd pay you could pay up to sixty quid per request if you you know, say you had four different elements in in your FOI request. Under significant pressure, he relented and and that went by. Um, like FOI is not a crutch that we rely on; it's a tool that we use to try and uncover stories that we wouldn't necessarily. I just get otherwise. the impression
0: that that public servant has had to trawl through a lot of information on behalf of FOI requests. Well, they don't like their in. job.
2: Put in for transfer. Go somewhere
0: else. Uh, the big story, uh, by the way, the panel is Terry Prone, Daniel McConnell, and Jared Howland. The big story towards the end of this week, whether we like it or not, is going to be the inauguration of Donald John Trump as the forty-fifth president of the United States, and I cannot remember it. And at any stage in history that I'm aware of where a president has been so embroiled in scandal coming up to Inauguration Day those lurid suggestions from the the Russian leaks as they were uh, we have Jared kuchner his son-in-law saying well it's not nepotism because the nepotism rules don't apply to the White House if I'm an advisor and then all the other stuff Terry how is he going to brush this off. I mean, you're, you're, what was your reaction to his press conference earlier this week? I mean, you, you as an advisor to politicians, you would never advise anyone to go in and be that bullish, I would imagine.
3: I would advise normal politicians. And that's a key distinction. Uh, Trump is a phenomenon all of his own. And you would be a fool to go into Trump and demand any of the things that you should demand of any normal politician. One of the things and I'm writing about this in the Irish Examiner tomorrow, one of the no, things about <laughs> one of the things about Trump is that he is incapable of sequential thought he actually, if you watch him can never complete a single thought. He moves sideways to something else. You don't take a man, even with my expertise, you don't take a man in his seventh and think that you can change that hard wiring. So one of the things about the inauguration that I'm going to be fascinated by because I covered the Obama inauguration for RT at the time. And what you saw was just the most superbly lucid man giving a superbly articulated speech that he clearly owned from first word to last full stop. I'll be fascinated to see if Trump can actually get through whatever speech is written for him by other people without breaking off and doing sidebar comments.
0: And the funny thing, I I was doing a bit of research for Pat's programme and of all the presidential inauguration speeches not one joke has ever been cracked and I wonder, will Trump be able to resist at some point throwing
3: something in? Taking a crack at somebody. And especially since his showbiz quota is going to be lower anyway, because virtually all the showbiz people who were asked either refused or accepted and then refused He's got
0: some girl who's only about 17 I don't think who knows much better and the B Street Band which is an E Street
2: Band tribute Which I find hilarious like you know they kind of say oh we're not a political uh, group even though you're a band aping Bruce Springsteen probably one of the most political singers of the last 50 years in in American history on the democratic side Um, What I find fascinating is you know Terry mentioned you know what you do with a normal politician Trump is not a politician by any stretch of the conventional sense he's just not a politician and that's the sort of the 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 showbiz factor that we have we're constantly waiting to see what he does next and you know unfortunately yeah. the stakes are so high like it's it, this is not showbiz this is real politics and, and, and you know kind of governance and all the rest of it um, I do kind of find it somewhat disappointing that members of our own profession continually try and seek to rewrite the result. you know they haven't accepted the result that Trump has won this bleating of oh, you know doomsday is coming. It's coming. Get on with it. Trump is a, is elected. He is the president. So let's get on with it and let's deal with the actual the reality of the situation. Like his some of his choices in terms of his, his cabinet raise eyebrows without question. I think the lack of women amongst his cabinet, as we were talking about I earlier, think he's on. got
0: two. You know.
3: in education. And, and some if other. I could just come in on Daniel's point. Media, particularly in America, has utterly failed. To They've vote let themselves. With Trump. Yes, Jim,
0: Jim 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 Acosta, the CNN reporter, tried to ask a question at that press conference. Got smacked. Yeah. and then, in, as opposed to doing the right thing by saying, "Well, I'm not
3: going to ask my question," I don't know Jim Acosta asked his question. None of them stood up. They for him. all came in and they allowed the president-elect to do divide and conquer. Mm. American media, or at least serious American media, is going to have to think long and hard. Instead of, as Daniel rightly says looking at this thing of this couldn't have happened I can't believe this has happened God almighty don't tell me it has happened they're going to have to move on and realise that they're dealing with a natural phenomenon like a typhoon mm-hmm. um, and they better develop methods to cope with it uh, Ger- Gerard
0: one thing about it is this is going to be one of the most watched inauguration speeches in recent times, if not all time, because people even if they hate the man are going to watch it to see what he comes up with, which is a damning indictment and very much a reflection of the campaign that got him to power.
1: But you see, the thing about the inauguration is not that nobody who's anybody will be absent, or everybody who's somebody will be absent, it's that everybody who's nobody voted for him. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, And this is Trump. You know, he can actually capitalise on the fact that A, B and C won't come. Elton John won't do it. Oh, well, they're all again. He They're can capitalise agimmy. on
3: anything that would be a disaster for any Nobody normal is. politician.
1: Precisely. He, this is, to him, a stripe to bear with pride that those elites uh, you know, will not come, will, will, will Overrated not, will not work for you. actresses like o- o- Meryl Streep <laughs> and all of that, you know. And this is the phenomenon that he has, uh, you know, ex- astonishingly successfully ex- exploited. And while the elite word is overdone, you can understand the phenomenon of how you know people who are not in studios out of the loop or feel themselves out of the loop is that this is our day you know and it is interesting by the way as a modern phenomenon because we are literally 100 years after the unknown soldier and why did we change from a society 100 years ago where we put generals on horses as heroes to know in future the hero will be the unknown soldier. And he, whoever he is, of course, is unknown. And it is that fundamental change 100 years ago that people who are nameless are now effectively in control.
0: Mm. Right. Uh, We were going to talk about Botox and that was, was on the Late Late Show, but similar. Speaking
1: uh, of the nameless. Speaking of the (laughs) (laughs) uh, nameless.
0: But similar to the harpist that bumped off the end of the Late Late Show because they ran out of time, we now have to bump Botox, which were out of time of as well. So you can tell me your thoughts on 53106 for a cost of 30 cents, but the panel has been excused. Will we say thank you to the panel nonetheless? Terry Brown, Danny McConnell and Jared Howland. Thank you very much for joining us.